I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday roundtable edition and playoff edition number two. I am Rob Pizzle from CBC Sports, joined, as always, by Jesse Granger in Vegas, who looks a little tired. But one year off of the playoffs and you're exhausted? <laughs> yeah. 14-hour travel day yesterday. Oh, oh that but is just gross. Winnipeg was a blast. Getting there sucks. Getting home from there sucks. While I was there, excellent. I had a great time in Winnipeg. Well, speaking of traveling, we're doing this show, and our boy Russo is, I don't know, about 30,000 feet in the air. He's traveling right now, so he could not do the show this week. So Jeremy Rutherford was kind enough to grab a microphone and join us on the show. How are you, sir? Wah, wah, wah. He doesn't have uh, Wi-Fi and Delta there. What's going on? <laughs> Can you imagine him doing a podcast from an airplane? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> imagine being the person that has to sit next to him during uh, rapid fire. <laughs> <laughs> the person next to him would go, uh, you heard Rob say rapid fire, right? Like you've been talking for... 12 minutes on this topic, but yeah, all right. <laughs> Today's rapid fire is going to be a true, legit rapid fire. You watch where you're like, that's the way you do it, Russo. But all right, we'll give him a pass. That's when the plane leaves, uh, much like Jesse, 14 hours. I know you were kind of complaining about it last week, too. The, the flight from Vegas, getting from Vegas to Winnipeg is a pain in the ass, isn't it? Not easy, not easy. There are not a lot of direct flights to Winnipeg. None, actually. Um, but <laughs> from anywhere. I made it. I made it. You made it. We're glad you did because we've got just a boatload of stuff to get through, guys. Um, and also, I should mention, second half of the show, Daniel Nugent Bowman from The Athletic, who covers the Oilers. Uh, I don't know if you guys have watched uh, every single second of that series, but if you haven't, go back and watch it all because it's just been 
just incredible. And, you know, some of the best players on planet earth doing what they do, but we're going to go through each and every series in this first segment. So guys, let's get to it because like I said, a lot's happened since the last time we spoke. Um, one thing that hasn't happened, we haven't seen a team eliminated. Every series is still on the go. I thought by this point, at least one team would be packing up their gear. Uh, and the other thing we learned this week is absolutely no lead is safe. And if you don't believe us, just ask the Kings and the Lightning. But we're going to start with the Islanders and the Hurricanes because the Islanders were the first team in these playoffs to stave off elimination last night with a 3-2 win um, in rally. And the road team wins again, guys. I mean, all 16 teams have at least one road win in these playoffs. That's just the second time that's happened since expansion in 1967. Um, I know it's home ice advantage and you fight for home ice advantage and I'm going to be a huge, uh, you know, overreactionary fan here, but is home ice advantage, Dad, Jesse? (laughs) Uh, Not any more than it has been, but I don't think it ever was really alive. Um, I remember last offseason looking or sorry, last postseason, looking at the stats over the last like 20 years, and it's basically 50-50. Yeah. I mean, and there's no sport in like of the four major North American sports, hockey, home ice means the least um, when it comes to the playoffs. I think in the regular season, it matters more. And it's not because the home crowd gets you pumped. It's because you're not flying from city to city. Your body's not going through jet lag and all that. I think during the playoffs, when everybody's at their best and both teams are flying back and forth, um, I don't think it matters a lot. I think the best team wins. Um, Every team will tell you, every coach will tell you, like, I remember asking Bruce Cassidy going down the stretch, like how important is home ice? He's like, would you rather be at home in a game seven? Yes. Other than that, I don't think it really matters that much. And so far, it's looked like that. What do you think, Jeremy? Yeah. And aside from the travel guys, uh, you know, I used to ask Ken Hitchcock that same question probably 10 years ago, ask him about the home away in the playoffs. And he said, well, all the barns are the same now, cookie cutter. So you don't really have that much of an advantage. But, you know, it's kind of cliche. Everybody's talked about that uh, distinction. Uh, But Jesse, aside from the travel, what else do you think? I've noticed covering the Blues for years and years, you know, you play on the road, you play that north-south game, you tune everything out and you play a better game instead of what you try to get away with at home with the east-west play. Well, I mean, I cover a team that was literally significantly better on the road this year than they were at home. And the Golden Knights have a pretty good home rink. I mean, they've got one of the loudest rinks in the NHL and they were significantly better on the road. Um, and, and they mention, we think we play simple. And I also think certain teams are built to play on the road better. Um, the Golden Knights being a good example. They, the Golden Knights like to wait for the other team to make a mistake and score in transition. And I think when teams come into Vegas, they're playing that simpler direct game and they don't make those mistakes. Whereas when Vegas goes into home buildings, um, the teams are trying to make more plays, trying to make fancier plays, trying to play with the crowd and suddenly you're making mistakes and getting caught. So yeah, I totally agree with you. The style of play when you're on the road, teams keep it simple and and find ways to win. People will point to line matching too, but now more than ever, and I, I find it's almost every year getting worse. Even that road coach, if he doesn't like the matchup that's out there, those guys are out there for the face-off win and they're off. You know what I mean? And like, we're almost seeing it, I don't want to say to a fault, but I mean, game one of the Lightning Leaf series, Sheldon Keefe made like 12 changes in the first minute and a half of that game because he he wanted, you know, and, and that's a team with home ice, but I don't know. I just, I, I'm with you guys. I, it's huge. Don't get me wrong. If you, if you ask a coach, okay, do you want to play game seven at home or on the road? They're obviously going to pick at home. Is it something you want to die on a hill for in those last few games of the regular season to get? I don't know if it's it's as important. Yeah, and also with matchups too, 
I think you got today's game, you have more lines that can match up against the other team's top line. I noticed in 2019 with Boston, obviously they had some great offensive players, but you had the ROR line that we talked <laughs> we talked to before we started the show here, Ryan O'Reilly's line. And you also had the uh, the fourth line of Steen, Sunquist, and Barbashev. They could defend Boston's top players too. So I think you got more options, which gives you a little bit of flexibility on the road. The, the last thing I'll say on this is I was just up in Winnipeg. If an, an if an environment can win you a game, that one would have won you the game. I'm talking it like I cannot say enough good things about how loud and just insane that building is. And the Jets went 0 and 2. They did not win a game in that building. And by the way, I think they're like 0 and 6 in their last six games with the whiteout going on up there. So that just shows you that no matter how wild the crowd is, how loud it like that, you cannot have a better home ice advantage than that. And they and they can't win a game up there. So it just shows you. Uh, Speaking of wild, there's going to be two times in this show. I'm going to bring up a topic of a goal being scored after the puck hits somebody in the face. Uh, in this game, Sebastian Ajo sitting at the side of the net, the puck hits him directly in the face before it even hits the ice. Brock Nelson, who, by the way, was wearing a full mask, uh, full facial protection, um, bats it in. Ajo had to go get stitches, ended up scoring later on in the game. But I, I've seen weird goals before and I've seen players get hit in the face before. I don't know if I've ever seen one where it, it doesn't hit the ice before it's in the back of the net. Is that one of the strangest goals you've seen, Rutherford? Yeah, and I, they had the same situation in a uh, Blues regular season game this year. So if you're going to count the one that we're going to talk about later in the show, that's three pucks in off faces this year. They need to put a category in NHL.com for goals off face and start giving <laughs> these guys credit for this. Or get it in the contract for in the clause. I'm sure the agents will be jumping all over this. The GOF. You get how, many, how many GOFs <laughs> does a guy have when he's negotiating his free agent contract? <laughs> <laughs> Double bonuses for goals off faces. Yeah, it was. I mean, the, the the concentration it takes to bat that puck out of the air off of Ajo's face is incredible. And like you said, I, the funniest thing I thought was the guy who didn't get hit in the face who scored the goal is wearing the the full yeah. face shield. Um, they should have had those switched maybe on that play. Um, it's 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 pretty crazy that the NHL has the rule that they won't allow the guys to wear them unless they're hurt. Um, that's like you can't choose to wear one. If you if you just said I'm going to wear a face shield, they'd say no, you're not allowed to. Like, what are we doing there? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, great concentration to to follow that to track that puck off the face into the air, bat it into the net. Sorokin's just like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> Sorokin is what's going like. How about Aho? That's adding insult to injury. Not only do I just take a puck in the face, but it goes in the back of the net. Uh, I just, I laughed. Like I said, I've seen a lot of strange goals. I've never seen anything like that. So Carolina with a three, two series lead, uh, another two team with a three, two series lead Dallas star shutting out Minnesota, Jake Ottinger. Um, we've been singing his praises all year, Jesse. I know you always want to talk about the goalies, uh, first shutout of these playoffs, proving your point all the time that goalies aren't that important, especially in the playoffs. Right. <laughs> um, but here's the one thing I want to talk about guys. We're talking about power play goals. The Minnesota Wild were sixth in the NHL this season in penalty minutes. And you had Dallas had the fifth best power play in the NHL, which is a recipe for disaster. And in the playoffs, no team's been more penalized than Minnesota. And Dallas has scored nine power play goals in the first five games of this season. Or excuse me, the series. Um, if they keep getting penalties, this thing, this thing is over, isn't it, Jeremy? 
Yeah, I think so. I think that, uh, that it was talked about last night that Minnesota is just not capitalizing on the power plays that they are getting, and they're not getting a ton, but you had three chances last night and don't get back into that game. I think, though, that that game, and we'll talk about it, but changed with that uh, Felino hit so early on, it just felt like they were behind the eight ball early. As soon as he goes out, as soon as the, the, they score on the, the major penalty, and then uh, later on Minnesota does not capitalize on its chances. So Pete DeBoer said it after the game. Uh, he said that uh, we knew coming into the series that they were the most penalized team, one of the most penalized teams in the league, and Dallas is jumping on it with a, it's a great power play. I mean, it's not Edmonton Oilers-esque, uh, but I think that uh, Dallas is doing a great job. My second favorite thing in this series is for sure the Pete DeBoer versus Dean Evason <laughs> post-game matches. It is incredible. Um, someone on Twitter, I wish I could give him credit, put it like a compilation of it just back-to-back, like them, like Pete saying they take the most penalties, then Evason saying, well, they've got some big guys that are going down pretty easily over there. We don't dive. And then it goes back to Pete, and he's like, well, if my team took the sixth most penalties in the NHL, that's probably what I would say, too. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Um, I cannot get enough of the coaches going back and forth in the playoffs. It's as good as it gets. That's my second favorite thing. My first favorite thing is playoff Jake Ottinger. This guy takes it to another level. Rob said, we've been singing his praises all season. It's He's at a different level in the playoffs. I've, I'm officially ready to say J- playoff Ottinger is a thing. Um, in the regular season, I think he's a very, very good goalie. He's not quite up there with Vasilevsky and Shesterkin and Sorokin, but in the playoffs of the 219 goalies in NHL history to play at least 10 playoff games, 219 of them, Jake Ottinger ranks first in save percentage, uh, 945 save percentage. By the way, he's six and six in the playoffs, which tells you that Dallas is not getting him enough run support, but he has been unbelievable in this series from start to finish. Um, it's fun to watch when he's in the net the the wild obviously the penalties are killing him but i just don't know if they're going to be able to get enough pucks by ottinger to win this series no that was that was a problem for the wild this year they didn't score a lot and they'd go through a lot of streaks you know mike russo wrote about it that uh, it just got in their heads i think where they, where they didn't score goals and so last night uh, you get the power plays. They don't score on those. You, five on five. Can't score there. And then Ottinger just makes it a completely bad matchup for them because he's been so good. I mean, if, if they score one goal in the second period, maybe get one early in the third period, maybe some doubt starts to creep in Dallas Ottinger. But I think that uh, he just held the door shut, and he's been terrific in this series. I was watching the game the other day, and just to see his dad up there trying to get through, grind through those last few minutes of the game, pretty special. Jesse, you probably know that feeling being a goalie. Uh, but uh, he's been terrific, and he's going to be, you know, you hate to use that term X factor, but uh, Dallas, with the way the power play is clicking, with the way you know the second, third line, those guys stepping up, I think you put Ottinger on top of that. I mean, this is a team that could make a really long, deep run. I think that's a really good point because I know we love to give athletes credit for being clutch at clutch times, but sometimes a clutch time is not allowing that 3-1 goal. It's right. all about momentum, right? You allow a goal, to suddenly your team is only up 3-1 as opposed to 3-0. It seems like that's not necessarily well. You know, you still have yourself a two-goal lead, but Ottinger was just so clutch last night. Um, we, you mentioned it. We got to talk about the Felino hit on Radic Faxa. Um, and you mentioned <laughs> the coach's duels. I mean, we we heard Everson talk about like, he didn't move at all. And our guy, <laughs> um, suspendable offense, guys, Jesse. You know what? I think the five-minute major covered it. Um, 
I like I don't think he needs to be suspended. I thought that uh, Paul Bissonette did a fa- I don't know if you guys were watching the the same broadcast, but I thought he did an incredible job of breaking down exactly why that knee to knee had happened and and basically showing that while yes and and you should be penalized for hitting the thigh to thigh knee to knee whatever you want to call it because you have to control your body. It wasn't malicious. He wasn't intending to go knee to knee. He was trying to go shoulder to shoulder and. Um, he turned at the last second and he just missed his shoulder and all he got was leg. So um, I think that the five minute major was, in my opinion, enough of a penalty for that and and probably shouldn't go any further. What do you think, JR? Yeah, I don't think it's suspension. And I, I like what you said about Bissonette. I think he described it perfectly. And also, I think it was with Dave Jackson, the studio also, uh, where he said, look, it, you know, it can be a five minute penalty without being malicious or thought to be a suspension because a knee-to-knee hit's going to draw a penalty every time and it doesn't have to just be uh, the minor. So he's not sticking his leg out. He's not extending his leg, Felino, to hit facts and take the knee out. But still, that collision has to be somewhat you know, preventable. And, and it's a tough in that situation, the way you see the play happen and develop. But, you know, the five-minute major, I, th- I agree with, with Jesse, that probably takes him off the hook for any type of suspension there because uh, he paid his due last night. All right, so that series also sitting at three games to two. Uh, the Kings and the Edmonton Oilers. Oilers with a 6-3 win last night. This team was within a hair of being down three games to one. Here we are talking about them being up 3-2. Uh, what what a turn of events. I mean, when they fell behind 3-0 in game four, you thought, okay, this is this is really, really bad if you're an Oiler fan. And suddenly they find themselves in the driver's seat. Like I said, we'll talk to Daniel Nugent Bowman about this a lot more in the second uh, second half of the show. But a couple of things I want to get your opinions on, guys. Um, Jesse, we always start with you with goalie topics. Uh, the decision to go back to Skinner after you're getting yanked in, in game four. Your thoughts on that one? It's the right decision. Um, he's the best goalie on the team. And I am always anti, like the, a lot of people like to say, pull the goalie to get the team going and and people will argue that it worked that they came back when they when they put Campbell in I could not disagree with that notion more um you know what would really catch the team's attention benching Connor McDavid would that not shock the team more than pulling the goalie why don't you do that because it'd be stupid to take your best player off the ice so is it not stupid to take your best goalie off the ice it is stupid none of those goals were skin I mean you could argue like it's on the border, but there weren't any horrible goals by Skinner. He's your best goalie. Despite it working with Campbell and them coming back, I think they would have come back with Skinner in the net. Um, you, I think it's smart to go back to your best goalie. He's been your best goalie all year. That Those three goals didn't change that. Um, so yeah, I agree with the decision to go back to him. I disagreed with the decision to pull him. That's well said. I agree too. And I think that, hey, it worked with Campbell. Sometimes you make coaching decisions uh, to pull a guy and, and it worked. And then you'd go back with your talented goalie. And, and they did that with Skinner. You know, we'll talk to Daniel about this. I'm sure he wrote a great column at The Athletic uh, today about the decisions that Woodcroft's making. And look, I covered this Blues Minnesota series last year where Everson went back and forth between uh, Talbot and he waited too long, I think, to make that move, uh, keeping Andre Fleury in net. And this year he did the same thing early in this series, going to Andre. Andre Fleury, that's a bad goalie decision. What Woodcroft is doing here is is just genius. Gets Campbell in, gets the job done, goes back to Skinner, and Skinner turns in a good performance last night. Face goal number two. Uh, This time, (laughs) at least this is paying the price, and you end up with a G on the score sheet. But, um, yeah, Evan Bouchard's point shot right off Zach Hyman's 
face and in a little bit different than the previous one we talked about. But this one, I feel, made me wince more. Even in slow-mo, it looked kind of painful. But this is right now, I guess, what the momentum of this series, everything kind of bouncing the Oilers' way. Your thoughts on this one, JR? <laughs> yeah, no, it's nasty. And I just got done reading uh, Eric Duhatchik's piece on it. And, and I can put myself in Eric's shoes. He's in the uh, press area and he sees Hyman sitting there and he, he said, we just kind of wandered over to him. You have to talk to him, right? When he takes a puck off the face like that. Uh, it, it's just amazing. Like we can talk about these players and, and all their injuries. You know, we talked about the knee on knee just a minute ago. We can talk about a number of different scenarios and these guys put themselves in on the ice with this fast game. But pucks off the face, guys, that's got to be number one in terms of, I, I think if I took a puck off the face, I'd be walking out of the rink with a little strut. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I'm that guy. I wouldn't but, be walking. Uh, yeah. I'd be unconscious. <laughs> That's the thing. No amount of training can can make you stronger in the face. There's no yeah. there's no like training purpose or, or exercise that's going to make you be able to take a puck off the face a lot better. But he just took it, smiled, laughed, and all he said afterwards was, "I'm just glad Bush didn't get all of it. Like he did, he didn't, <laughs> you know, hammer it as hard as he could." What do you think, Jesse? Yeah, the way I view it is. The, the greatest power play in the history of the sport just found another weapon. Yeah. Well, you've got to worry about McDavid in, on the left circle. You've got to worry about Dreisaitl on the right circle. And you've got to worry about Zach Hyman's face in front of the net. Um, they've just got weapons everywhere on this power play. There's no way to stop it. It is unbelievable how good this power play is. To the point where when you're watching the... I, I can't ever remember a team where... When a penalty happens, you, I literally look at the score and go, oh, so it's it's three to one. OK, well, it's four to one now. Um, it's over like they are going to score. And, the, and and when the Kings kill a penalty, it feels like the most miraculous thing that's ever happened. Like like it's it's a game winning penalty kill every time they kill one because it's so impossible to stop this power play. It's so much fun to watch. L- last night's game was kind of a I mean, it was still pretty entertaining, but compared to the rest, it was kind of a stinker, I guess, because this series has just been must watch. Like it's it's been the best series going so far. And Jesse, you know exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be McDavid, you know, probably making a pass. It's probably going to be dry settled in front of the net. And that goal last night, that's exactly what happened. And, and uh, L.A., you know, isn't within three or four feet of either player. So uh, th- these guys, you know, they, they know what to do. Everybody in the building knows what's coming. And these guys are still able to pull this off. So but to your point about Hyman, yeah, can you imagine the coach before the game he says listen <laughs> let's let's listen let mcdavid beat you let dry beat you they're gonna do that but we can't have hyman score off the face again that's that's right. the x's and o's going into that game <laughs> eight for 14 with the man advantage uh in this series and we'll talk to daniel about the the, the line shuffling that we saw woodcroft do yesterday but i do want to mention this so evander kane's goal in the first period was the first oiler goal in these playoffs with leon dry on the bench 14 straight goals. He's at least been on the ice. He hasn't necessarily been, you know, uh, on the score sheet front, but on the ice. Just, that guy's just incredible. I know we love to talk about Conor McTee, but the dry sidle is just absolutely incredible. Two more games tonight, guys. We could have an elimination tonight as the Boston Bruins with their 3-1 series lead are only going to get better because it looks like Bergeron's going to be back uh, in the lineup. Uh, looking to advance to the second round for the seventh time in 10 years. One thing that kind of caught everybody's attention, you both cover teams on a regular basis. The first thing you do when you're looking at line rushes during the playoffs is you start looking at who's on what line. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, not Marchand, on the left wing with Pasta. And then you have Marchand on the second line with Charlie Coyle and Nick Felino. Now, Jim Montgomery did kind of say, 
we want to test out and evaluate different mixes because we kind of know what those two guys play like. We don't necessarily need to practice it, but I wonder if a little gamesmanship may be going on here at, at, at practice. JR, we will start with you on this one. Yeah, no, I know Jim Montgomery a little bit. He was an assistant here for a couple of years in, in St. Louis. And just what a, you know, just a bag of riches here. I mean, could you imagine you're, you're driving to practice thinking about these line combinations and, you know, Bergeron coming back? Well, should I drive the Ferrari to, to yeah. practice or should I drive the Porsche to practice? Uh, it, it's just amazing. Mixing and matching. And, and that's funny that he comes out and he says that, uh, well, we kind of know what these guys can do because we've only seen it happen uh, for the past, you know, decade. Yeah, I mean, this team is so like I rem- I was watching the Bruins game the other day and they showed a graphic on the screen that said Bruins depth scoring in this series and the names are Taylor Hall, Tyler Bertuzzi and Jake DeBrusque and I'm like are we really going to call that depth scoring and then you look at the roster and it's like well I mean those are the depth forwards like like this this team has star players playing depth positions uh Bertuzzi was such a good ad at the deadline um I love what he was doing in Detroit yeah. he's He's so good in front of the net and like he's perfect. Like you're always looking when you've got as many stars as Boston does, like you're always looking for, can we put a guy who's not one of those stars on one of our top two lines? That way we can push a star down the lineup to, to give us better depth and, and still get that same production. And Bertuzzi is the perfect example because he drives to the net. He, he doesn't just go to the net and be an oaf in there and like take hits and, and, deliver hits. He's got fantastic hands. I think back to that game one, uh, the power play goal by Pasternak that Bertuzzi in front wins that stick battle and goes behind his back without even looking, feeding uh, Pasternak for that like slam dunk goal. He's so good in front of the net. He's the perfect guy to plug in with two skilled players and just let him go do the dirty work. And he's going to score a bunch of goals because the puck's going to find him there. Um, I I just really like him as a player. And, And you know what's interesting about that, guys, is that when I saw Bertuzzi was going to Boston there at the deadline, it was like, like, okay, he's a star. He's going to be plugged in with stars and he's going to fit. And not that it hasn't worked in, in New York necessarily. You know, they've lost a couple in this series. Uh, but, but you know, when you get Tarasenko and you get Kane, I think you really do genuinely wonder, is that going to work? But you don't have that feeling in Boston. Right. He's just that piece. And, and I know it's unfair to give, the, you know, the team that finished with the greatest regular season record in the history of hockey another piece. But when you're a GM at the deadline looking for that piece to help you get, you know, go deep in the playoffs, he's been fantastic. I've been singing his praises as well. So we could see the Boston Bruins heading to the second round. Colorado and Seattle, we, that's not going to happen at least tonight because it's a bit surprising that Seattle's given the, the defending champs a run for their money. What isn't surprising, guys, is just how they're doing it. They're doing it in the most Seattle Kraken way ever. 11 different goal scorers in these playoffs. They only have one player with more than one goal in Jaden Schwartz. And Jared McCann still hasn't scored. Um, it, it's just scoring by committee with this team. And they're, it, you know, you joked about what we know what the Edmonton Oilers are going to do on their power play. We knew what Seattle was going to do. We knew how, how they got themselves into this playoff spot. And I think they're frustrating the abs a little bit. Jesse. Yeah, I mean, when you look at this Avs team and you compare it to the team that won the cup last year, the the depth isn't as good. Like they're they're down the lineup, they're they're plugging guys in, and it's just not. They don't seem as complete as they did 
a year ago. And Seattle is, like you mentioned, that's the perfect team to take advantage of that. Like if there's a team in these playoffs where you say, where's the depth going to hurt you? It's Seattle because they don't have a top, a, a, a scary top line that you've got to match up against. They just send the f- same line over the boards four times in a row all game long. And they they skate straight at you. They hit you in the mouth. And then it, it just feels like you can't breathe. Like it's usually... You're playing against the Oilers. You're like, okay, we made it through the Drysaddle and McDavid shifts. Now we can take we can take a breath for a second. We can maybe try to get some chances of our own. Whereas Seattle, it just feels like you never get that breath. Like they're constantly hounding you on the forecheck. They're constantly pressuring you. They may not have the elite skill to make you pay like efficiently, but they just get so many chances because they're constantly on you that eventually a goal is going to go in and and. I mean, it's working for him. It, to be honest, it reminds me a lot of the first year Golden Knights. Yeah, I agree with you guys. And it's the same thing they've been doing all season. And I think that's why, obviously, they've had the success they had. And it goes back to the conversation we had a little bit ago, not particularly uh, to the question of winning on the road, but that's the type of team that you need to win in playoff hockey where they're just coming at you. And maybe you don't have the star power. Look, some of these, uh, aside from a McDavid and a Dreisaitl, some of these teams might not be winning this postseason with that star power, but teams like Seattle are beating the defending champs because of what you said, just coming at you wave after wave. I had the pleasure of covering uh, Jaden Schwartz. He was unbelievable in that 2019 run for the St. Louis Blues. And he doesn't have to be unbelievable uh, in, in this series because of the depth that they have. So doing a great job. And I'll, I'll mention another former Blue. I apologize for all the Blues references. <laughs> but uh, Vince, Vince Dunn, here's a guy that they lost in the expansion draft. You know, the Blues were considering moving Vince Dunn, but couldn't get more than a third-round pick for him. He goes instead in the expansion draft to Seattle. And he's mentioning the Norris conversation. You know, we're not talking about a finalist there, but to have a guy uh, who gets picked up in the expansion draft, even in that conversation, tremendous. So they are definitely getting the job done and, and uh, giving Colorado a run for their money there. I'll also say um, he hasn't been very good since he got to Seattle, but Philip Grubauer against his former team is showing up in this <laughs> series. Like this is the best he's looked since he played for Colorado. Um, I don't think the Avs players were expecting that. So that's, I mean, that's a huge boost for Seattle, a guy that like that's been their weakness for the last two seasons is in net and, and Grubauer is giving them really good goalie goaltending right now. Uh, we got to talk about the Makar hit on Jared McCann. Uh, I'll say this. I understand he's not a dirty player. He never has been. I understand his explanation. If you saw the hit, he thought the puck was going to come down and he was going to battle for the puck. All that doesn't matter. In my opinion, it was a one game suspension. Here's what I don't understand. We go from that hit being a major to a minor to a suspension. Does that not make everyone involved look pretty ridiculous, JR? 100% and Shana did a great job talking about this uh, process. You know, I think it's a good thing what they did a couple years ago. And I think you guys can agree with that. Giving the referees on the ice the ability to, to, to call the five minute, take a look at it. Uh, But yeah, we've seen several times in these playoffs where it's gone from a five minute to a nothing or it's gone to a two minute, so on and so forth. And, you know, it just doesn't seem like everybody's on the same page. And then to add the extra level of then going to a suspension for Makar, it it totally looks like uh, everybody's not on the same page. So, you know, I think we're going in the right direction in terms of, you know, giving the ability to look at the play and find out what's going on. And and obviously, you know, in-game, real live action, you're not able to say, okay, well, when 
player safety gets a look at this, you know, they're going to probably decide that this is a penalty. So this is the call that we need to make on the ice right now in, in real time. Uh, so it's kind of impossible for everybody to be on the same page, but it just looks like everybody has differing viewpoints of what's happening here. And I agree. It should be a one game suspension. You know, the penalty should have never got dropped. Yeah. I think what we're seeing in terms of like JR, you mentioned, um, like we're seeing a lot of five minute majors called and then reversed to nothing or to two minutes. I think what's happening is the referees realize there's only one way to review this. And it's if I call it yep. a five minute major. So I'll just call it one and then we'll go look and we'll see. Um, so I think they are because of the replay being instituted. I think they're much, much, much more likely to call a five minute. Whereas before when it was like, if you call one, it's a five minute major. I think, 90% of these probably wouldn't have been called five minute majors. So they're just kind of leaning on that replay, like, ah, whatever, we'll just call it a five minute major and then we'll and then we'll go look and see what we it is. We saw it all year. They um, did, they did it all blame. year. It, it yeah. Automatically you go, is that a major? It. And they call it a five minute major strictly because they're like, well, now we could take a look at it. Um right. and 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 kind of cover our own asses in the situation. But this here, like I think, and I forgive me, I forgot to write down who the referee was or the two referees were in this game, but it makes them look real bad. Like they said, this is not a major. And then the league deems it a suspendable offense. I just, it, it's, it, 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 had they called it a two minute penalty and then you get suspended. We've seen that all the time. You know, that they, they right. get one look at it. They call it a two minute uh, penalty. It's a minor. And then they look at it. You know, the department of player safety says, no, no, this is suspendable offense. But this, this kind of, I just heard the clown music in my head as it was going on. Like the, dee, 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 dee. like I just didn't get it. You're <laughs> yeah, it should have been a major. I mean, it, it it that was the odd part of this whole thing was that they that they reduced it. Um I agree with you when you said Makar's explanation makes sense like but when I watched it, I, first thing I thought was like, "Oh my god, that's a dirty hockey yeah. play." Like, holy smokes. It kind of reminded me, I remember when Dale Hunter did it on Pierre Turgeon, what, at that time was the biggest suspension in NHL history. Now, that's a little different. I'm not comparing Kale McCarr to Dale Hunter in any way shape or form, but it was like play over, no puck in sight, and you just crunch him along the boards. Uh, but yeah, well, he's gone for one game. Yeah, and, and then this goes back to what we were saying earlier. I mean, if you, and I realize all the situations can't be compared to one another, but look at the Felino hit last night. So that stays a major, right? Five minutes and he's kicked out. And we're saying we think that he won't be suspended. So, you know, McCars gets reduced. He gets the one game suspension. Felino stays a five minute major and might not get suspended. It's, a, it's all just the domino effect. All right, guys, three games tomorrow. Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs are on the verge of punching their ticket to the second round. As our producer, Jeff Domet wrote on our lineup. Wait, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> I can't believe we just said that after that just ridiculous comeback on Monday night. If I could tell a real quick story. I play men's league hockey on, on Monday nights. And of course, I, I live just outside of Toronto. So everybody's watching it on their phones in the dressing room. Everybody's going nuts. And it's 4-1 as we're heading onto the ice. A few minutes into the third period, most of the Leaf fans have kind of said, okay, we don't need to worry about keeping up with this one. There's a sports bar above where I play. And the, if you go to one corner, you can see kind of the TV. And at one point, the referee during a stoppage skates over. Then he skates by their bench and says, hey, guys, it's 4-2. And skates by our bench. Hey, guys, it's 4-2. We continue playing. A couple minutes later, hey, guys, it's 4-3. Hey, guys, it's 4-3. And we thought, oh, wow, this, this just got interesting. 
Again, stoppage of play. He's keeping us up to date. Every stoppage, he would skate over to the corner of the rink just to get, you know, a, a, an actual update on the game. And then during our game, the other team scored. I see the referee talking to everyone on the ice. And suddenly both teams are cheering and high-fiving each other because the Leafs had won in overtime. That's how I experienced that comeback. Obviously, I watched it later on when I came home. But you talk about exercising demons. It's usually the other way around with the Leafs. <laughs> The Leafs blowing that third period lead. Uh, how big of a win was that, Jesse? Yeah, it was huge. It is setting them up for the most devastating first round loss uh, in the last <laughs> long time. I mean, it's You're a three to one poking, series lead. It's, those it's, it's, huh? <laughs> I mean, it's definitely setting it. Like I, when I see Leafs up three to one, and and I see they're on the verge of of the second round, the first thing I thought was, are they? Like, are we sure that? Because to me, when I see three one, I think. Man, this is gonna suck for the Leafs. Um, but seriously, though, this team is has looked really, really good. Um, I mean, all the talk about the top four guys not scoring, and then they play a hell of a third period and and lead them back. Um, this team looks the best it's looked in the playoffs in a long time. Um, this story is going to be fun to follow as long as it lasts. Jesse, first of all, delete your Zoom. We, we don't want to hear comments like that. <laughs> that would, I don't even know if people outside of Toronto could handle that. Uh, that would be something. And just my own quick uh, anecdotal story. I was actually at my son's 10-year-old baseball game, and it was 4-1. Uh, Leafs were down, and uh, all of a sudden, a couple innings go by, and I check the score, and it's 4-4. So just, just unbelievable. And, hey, I got to touch on uh, Ryan O'Reilly here, the former Blue. Uh, you know, I tweeted the other night when he scored that goal with a minute left. You know, that alone was worth that first round pick. And you can't win the series until you win that game. You know, since then, what a turnaround it's been for the Leafs. And granted, the next you know game later in the series, you fall behind again and you have to come back. But this is what the playoffs are about. These, This is what builds teams. This is what these moments are about. So hypothetically, if the Leafs are in the second round, they're drawn from what they did in the first round. It's just, it, it's just building upon each game. And that's what the Leafs are doing. And like Pierre wrote today, they're doing non-Leaf things. I, I think it's fun to watch. I'm actually pulling for them, unlike Jesse there. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you said, you you, you know ROR. Um, right. How big is he? Not only like obviously he's come up with with he's, his play on the ice speaks for itself. But how big is he for a team like this Leafs team, as far as a leadership role goes in the dressing room at practices in meetings? I mean, we don't we're not privy to that. We don't get to see that. But he's got to be huge for this team. It's huge. And listen, I'm not going to tell you anything you probably haven't heard or, or read somewhere, but. Ryan O'Reilly, from the moment he came to St. Louis from Buffalo, he was on the ice 45 minutes before practice. He was on the ice for an hour after practice. He had young players, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, sticking with him, you know, grabbing pucks out of the net, fishing them out, and they would just do drill after drill after drill. And then when you talk to players about what O'Reilly means in the locker room, just the leadership is phenomenal. He knows what to say. And obviously, none of us have been in that Leafs locker room, but I can picture even those superstar players sitting around in the intermissions wondering what's going to happen. You're down to you're down three and you look over and you see Ryan O'Reilly. Maybe he says something, maybe he doesn't, but you just know that that calmness is there with him and, and you're going to do whatever you can. And and, and just like uh, it was written in The Athletic a couple days ago, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, when he scores a goal like that or he makes a play or he wins a faceoff that's so instrumental to a victory, the reporters who were at practice watched him practice that 45 times two days earlier prior to him making that big play in front of 19,000 people. None of this has been a surprise. I think it was a perfect pickup for the Leafs, and he's paying off. I'm not rooting against the Leafs, by the way. I just, <laughs> I just find the whole thing amusing. I, I'm, I, I honestly... 
think the longer it goes, the more fun it will be. So I'm all for the Leafs winning uh, in the first round. It's, I think is the Toronto being in the playoffs makes the playoffs more fun. So. I was just trying to get the Leafs fans on you. <laughs> all right. What's that Twitter handle again, Jesse? Just want to throw that up there. <laughs> Jesse Granger underscore. I couldn't get the the just the Jesse Granger. Some guy stole it. I've I've got an underscore at the end. Okay, guys. Next up, Rangers and the Devils tied two games apiece. I know these two teams are geographically closer than any other series in the playoffs. And we talked about home ice before, but it certainly hasn't been an advantage in this one. Home team 0 and 4. I don't know about you guys. I the, the first two games, I picked the Devils in this series. And after watching those first two games, I thought, okay, you know, we talk about the importance of home ice, whether it's important or not. Playoff experience to me jumped out so much in those first two games. The Devils look like a bunch of scared kids. You know what I mean? Who are finally invited to the big boys table. Hasn't really been that way in games three and four. Uh, your thoughts on what we've seen through the first four games of this Hudson Bay battle. Jesse, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think you you put it really well. I think the that the Rangers had the edge early in the series just based on they were ready for the moment a little more. And now as the series has gone on, I think that's kind of evened out and you're starting to see a really talented Devils team that is is playing to its potential and um, you know me, I like to talk about goalies. I'm going to go to Lindy Ruff's decision to go to Akira Schmid in net because that's not an easy choice to make. And like that, like, so Schmidt was their best goalie this season. If you look at, it wasn't a huge sample size, but he was their best goalie, but he's also young and you've got veterans in net that you trust. And to go away from Vitek Vanacek and to go to the young kid, and it's worked brilliantly, by the way, um, is is a gutsy, gutsy move. Um, and, and I just think for a coach that we've talked a lot about this year because of the chance of the fans uh, calling for him early in the year and then apologizing to him later. What a job, a coaching job he's done this season and in this series. Um, I just am really impressed with everything Ruff's done. Here's my shock face that Jesse went to the goalie. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and you're filling in no, on I, one show. We've been doing this for two years or Jesse. Always, he could find any way to transition to goaltending. We could be talking about a wedding and he'd be like, well, yes, but did you know that the third usher from the left was a goalie? Oh, <laughs> oh that's great. No, I think that, and, and this is uh, something that uh, we could have spent some time with Daniel on too, is, um, you know, look at New Jersey. They were the uh, the biggest surprise in the NHL this year and, and why they got a lot of great young talent and that talent developed and it, it showed up and uh, you know, it didn't. And maybe there were some nerves in the first couple of games, just like Jesse alluded to here a minute ago, but you know, granted it's only a couple wins they've put up and we, we don't say that they've grown up and all of a sudden they're ready for this. Uh, but I think that it was a quick turnaround for them and, and kind of learn that they need to play the style that made them successful all season long, and, and where I mentioned uh, Daniel and Edmonton in this, is, look, you, you got to figure out what the playoffs are about, and I think Edmonton's done that. We saw uh, Tampa Bay do that several years ago, and we've seen other teams do that as well. And I think it's going to take some time, probably big picture for New Jersey to do that, but at least for a couple games, they got back to doing what they do uh, well. We've spent a bit of this show talking about deadline acquisitions that have really panned out well. You got the Rangers with Kane and Tarasenko, uh, Ryan O'Reilly. We talked about where the hell's Timo Meyer in this series? I mean, he was the one who you talk about missing pieces was supposed to be such. A, and we heard Timo Meyer's name uh, on every single trade board leading up to the deadline. He just 
has not been doing what I think a lot of people, myself included, expected him to be doing. JR? Yeah, yeah, I haven't really uh, seen much from him in, in this series, and, and that's uh, tough to, to swallow because he was probably the biggest ad at the deadline, right? Yeah. I mean, we can talk about some of the other ones. O'Reilly uh, obviously has been a great fit uh, for Toronto. I know St. Louis had some interest in, in Timu Meyer. Obviously, five or six teams around the league did. New Jersey gets him, and you think he's going to be that difference maker, uh, especially come playoff time with that big body. And what he did with the Sharks in, in a couple different playoff series. So I, I think that uh, maybe you got a series that's knotted like it is and, and the young players are stepping up. You know, you can look at it as a positive, look at it the other way that if he does come through, you know, he can be that difference maker and perhaps win them the series. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely hasn't been what they'd hoped. You look at this series. So like we were talking earlier about the Kraken, they've got 11 different guys that have scored and <clears throat> they're not getting their goals from all from one place. The Devils are the opposite. Right now, Jack Hughes has three goals. The rest of the New Jersey Devils all combined have four goals. Um, And nobody has, I mean, there's four guys with one goal and then Jack Hughes with three. He's carrying this team offensively. They need more guys to pitch in. Now, you're not going to score a ton. You're playing against Igor Shesterkin, but they have got to get contributions from down the line. These two games going to, to MSG and winning them were huge. But at the same time, I don't see that as a sustainable way to win in the playoffs and go on a deep run. Like they've got to help Jack Hughes out. And Jack Hughes, you could almost argue isn't playing as, as we've seen him as good as he can play. You know what I mean? As much as he's carried this team offensively, there were games during the regular season where I thought, wow, he's living up to that potential. He just hasn't had a lot of help as you mentioned. So that series tied at two games apiece, and we're going to wrap it up with the, Team that Jesse follows, that you got to hear that great chant that you were you put on Twitter. You're a backup for uh, Laurent Brossois. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, the backup won, didn't he? Uh, beating his old team, and now was a chance to bump his old team from the playoffs. Vegas with a 3-1 series lead over Winnipeg. You talked about the 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 atmosphere in Winnipeg, but man, that video just made me laugh. Yeah, it was great. The the Winnipeg fans were great. They were taunting him throughout the game. They were chanting just Brassois, Brassois. They were chanting, You're a backup. Um, while he uh beat Connor Hellbuck twice, leaves Winnipeg two and oh in his old building. Um, it was so funny talking to the guys after the game. Uh Brassois, when I walk into the dressing room, Brassois has got the headset on and he's doing like a radio interview and Petrangelo is like behind him, like patting him on the back while he's doing the interview, just congratulating him. And I go up to Petrangelo and I was like, could you guys hear what they were like? Could you make out what they were chanting on the bench? And he looks at me and he goes, oh, yeah, he looked like a starter to me tonight, though. Right. Um, they, they they were all having fun with it. Brassois was like, oh, yeah, I could hear the chants. It's uh, it's it's just fuel to the fire. Um, it was a lot of fun. They, they had fun with it. The Jets fans are fantastic, but Bersois has been very good in this series, and I, I wrote it in that story. By every statistical measure, he's outplayed Connor Hellebuck, which is astounding. I mean, going into this series, I thought the Golden Knights are going to have a hard time with the Jets. Just I think they're the better team in most areas, but Connor Hellebuck's going to be so good, he's probably going to goalie you a few times, and he just hasn't been up to, to his normal standard for whatever reason. He just has looked a little bit off. Um, even in the saves he's made, he's looked off balance a little bit. He just doesn't look quite look himself. Got to give the Golden Knights credit for for making him off balance and getting guys in front of the net and and moving the puck well to, to not let him stay on his angle, but they have neutralized the Jets' biggest advantage in this series. And then the other part of it is... The Jets are so banged up. I mean, you lose Josh Morrissey. That's the best player on the team. You're you're 
you're already down Nick Ehlers, who we all thought was going to be able to play and hasn't been able to get on the ice. So you're down him. You lose Morrissey. That's a huge hit to a team that, I mean, they're, their, their blue line is is not great. They they lean heavily on Morrissey. So now that he's out there in trouble. And then last game, Mark Shifley goes out. Um, he had a breakaway. Brassois made a huge save. I thought that was the biggest play of the game um, to not let that crowd get even more into it in the, on the first shift of the game, a breakaway, and he makes a save. But then Shifley goes down. Looked like it hurt his, he hurt his wrist. This team is on life support right now. Uh, coming back to Vegas, they've got two days off to maybe lick some of their wounds, but the, the Jets are so banged up. I thought Vegas was the better team before all that. With all those injuries, I just I have a hard time seeing the Jets being able to find their way back into this one. Well, Jesse talks about the goalies. I keep referring back to uh, 2019 several times uh, in this hour here. and I go back to 2019 when you guys remember when Jordan Bennington made the comment, do I look nervous? Well, the next game yeah. was uh, back up in uh, Winnipeg. And what did the fans chant there? And I think it was a whiteout as well. You look nervous. You look nervous. <laughs> and and what changes that? Uh, playing well. And Jordan Bennington obviously did that. And and uh, they won the Blues won that series against the Jets. But a loud place. But uh, that's that's a funny chant. You got to give him credit on that. But Bersois played uh, tremendous. And Jesse, as you touched on, Jets really banged up right now. And uh, the the Vegas Golden Knights. The question mark. I think that a lot of us outside of Vegas had the goaltending uh, has been uh, terrific. So it uh, looks like uh, they should handle that series. And if they do handle that series and the Oilers handle their series, they will face each other in the next round. So you know what? Let's talk Oilers next segment with Daniel Nugent Bowman, who covers the team for The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, as we discussed in segment number one, the Oilers were just this close to being down three games to one in their series against the Kings. And then everything turned around. And after that 6-3 win last night, they're now one win away from heading back to the second round. This series has had pretty much everything, keeping our next guest extremely busy. Daniel Nugent-Bowman joining us on the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. Thanks for doing this, man. You're welcome. It's great to be on with you guys, even though, uh, well, actually, we didn't have an overtime game last night, so I shouldn't complain. Three overtime <laughs> games, late starts. Sleep is sleep is hard to come by. <laughs> Doesn't happen in the playoffs. You just don't get any of it. Um, let's let's dive right in, Daniel, because I was reading your recap of Game Five, and one of the like subtopics said, "quote A balanced attack for the Oilers." I think that's something most people would agree has been their Achilles' heel for many many years. If it used to be, if if McDavid and Drysaddle aren't scoring, this team's in a lot of trouble. Thirteen different Oilers finding the score sheet uh, last night. Is that just the biggest difference between this year's edition of the Oilers and, you know, 
the, the I don't want to call them underachieving, but the team that hasn't been able to break through over the last five, six years? Yeah, I think so, Rob. And, and this goes back probably to uh, when Jay Woodcroft was, was promoted from Bakersfield last season. And the bottom six has really kind of undergone, um, you know, a, a huge improvement. And to the point where now uh, they can be trusted on the ice. They're not being caved in. They're not being outscored. Uh, that was a huge issue in the previous Connor McDavid and, and Leandre settle years. Um, you know, they were getting, they were getting absolutely caved in, um, with some improvement at the end of the, toward the end of Dave Tibbetts tenure, but, but during that, that time, and, uh, I got to, you know, it was basically the point where you, you, you have to have one of them on the ice or, or the others were, were hooped and, and, and that's not the case. And, and, um, you know, they've been able to do a lot of different things with their lineup because they, Jay Woodcroft trusts pretty much all of us forwards, um, uh, it, it goes a long way, it, you know, toward having a, a long playoff run if if you can trust more than two or three guys, um, and and I think this sets the team up for uh, a very long playoff run here. I know they they still have to get through Los Angeles. They you know they have two cracks at at beating the Kings um, uh, and taking that series, but I had them as a favorite in the West uh, going into the playoffs, and I, and you know part because of that that balanced lineup, but you know of course. Uh, they have the the high end talent too. Uh, you know, I think they're they're primed for uh, for to do some major damage here this this spring. Going into this series, I the matchups that I loved that I could not wait to see was I, the Kings have got those two shutdown centers with Kopitar and Dano, and Dano has done a spectacular job against McDavid at five on five. I mean, he's still getting everything he needs it on the power play, but how big has Dreisaitl been um, while Deneau is doing the job he's doing against McDavid? This has been the year of McDavid and he really has been quiet at five on five, but, but Dreisaitl seems to be carrying this team. Yeah, I would say with McDavid, he's still getting his, his chances and, you know, especially early in the series, he was, he was still driving play against Philip Deneau, but as you say, Jesse, like the results haven't come. I mean, McDavid has eight points in five games, and that seems very pedestrian, uh, especially given that um, just three of those points, just three assists, have come at five on five. Uh, yeah, the Oilers' power play is, is otherworldly, as we've seen in the regular season, and we're definitely seeing in this series. So um, McDavid's going to get his cookies and his and his apples and everything on the on the power play. Um, but yeah, to your point, Jesse, like. Drysaddle has been, you know, the driving force, and uh, um, you know they, he's been able to, you know, to to will the the Oilers, especially in Game Two, to to a victory there. Um, and it's, I think, it's taken some tinkering by by Coach Jay Woodcroft, um, where he st- started to see it in Game Four, where he, he put McDavid and Drysaddle together a little bit more, and that's where the you know Todd McClellan has a choice to make. You know, which center do I want to go against those guys and leave? Uh, another center for for another Oilers line, um, and I think it's really paid off. Uh, you know, they, they, that top line I felt set the tone in last night's game. Uh, McDavid, Drysaddle, and Evander Kane being on that line too. Um, I don't think they had the greatest game. McDavid had a couple of uh, defensive uh, lapses that that resulted in goals, but they set the tone early. Uh, Nick Bukestad uh, moving up to center. A second line was Zach Kleiman and Ryan Nugent Hopkins uh, produced a couple goals at, at five on five. Uh, and so it took a little bit of tinkering, but um, I think uh, under most circumstances, I, I, I don't like when McDavid and Drysdale are together. I think it it kind of uh, weakens the others at balanced attack, as we were kind of talking about earlier. 
but in this case, it, I, I think there's some merit to it. And um, for the last, uh, since about the middle of, of game four onward, uh, it's really kind of uh, worked in the Oilers' favor. And, and Drysaddle's been a key force in the series. Uh, McDavid has still been good enough, uh, not quite to his his uh, his uh, otherworldly standards, but uh, together they've they've been able to to get the Oilers to where they need to be in the series. Well, Daniel, congratulations for not yawning during your answers. I'm pretty uh, <laughs> proud of you there. <laughs> uh, and, uh, hey, I just wanted to touch on some of the things that, that you pointed out there with uh, the decisions that uh, Coach Woodcroft is making. First of all, he's putting a lot of trust in those other forwards. And I think that's the key with, uh, you, you know, you, you look at a team beyond McDavid and Dreisaitl. You know, those guys want to be counted on and they want to deliver. And it, the question is, which comes first? They deliver and then you have trust in them or you put that trust in them and then they deliver. And it's seems like that's what's happening there along with the key decisions he's made going back to Skinner putting Dreisaitl and McDavid together last night just the job if you could touch on the job that Woodcroft's done here yeah it's a uh, chicken and egg and, and horse and cart right JR like he, yeah. you know players like to have that uh, that trust but they have to earn it too and and I, I think it goes back to again like the regular season where I, I, and, and Jay Woodcroft does know a lot of these players from from Bakersfield especially these young guys uh, having coached them coming up but he does trust a lot of them. And you're seeing, you know, Warren Fogle, uh, Ryan McLeod, and, and uh, Derek Ryan be a pretty pretty effective line for this team. Um, Clem Costin, uh, former Blue, was he, you know, he's had his moments, but he seems to be the guy that, um, you know, get, you know, when push comes to shove, kind of gets forgotten about it and, and loses some ice time as the game goes along. Um, but, but again, Woodcroft has kind of found roles for everyone, uh, I think, up front. And uh, you see with, with Nick, Nick Bustad, who hadn't, played in the top six at all uh since coming over from arizona at the trade deadline and um you know the coach trusts him enough to to put him in that in that spot and to center basically a second line now the oilers uh for for those that, that don't know have been using 11 forwards and seven defensemen since game two and, and they've that's a a scheme that they've they've used a lot in the regular season and to to a great deal of success you know it helps get mcdavid and dry settle and, and some of the other forwards some more ice time um um, uh, but, uh, you know, those, those top two lines were, were pretty much set in stone, uh, last night, you know, aside from maybe McDavid and dry settle having to center, you know, a couple of fourth line wingers. Um, but yeah, he pushed all the right buttons. And, and I thought the, it's you, your point, Jeremy, um, putting a new Stuart Skinner was, was a, a big decision. We'll never know what would have happened if, if, uh, Jack Campbell started that game last night and, uh, if the others would have won and what Jack Campbell's level of play, uh, would have been. But Stuart Skinner's been the starting goaltender for this team since essentially middle to late um, November. Uh, this guy deserved to start game five. Uh, I don't think, you know, game game four was a scenario where, you know, he didn't play great. But uh, all three goals from the Kings were, were on pretty much unfettered chances after an Oilers player had made a, a pretty big uh, gaffe in front of him. So uh, I don't think they wanted to pin that loss squarely on the shoulders of Stuart Skinner. Jack Campbell deserves a lot of credit for coming in there cold and, and stopping 27 of 28 shots in game in game uh, four, but really up to that point hadn't played very well this season. And I think you've got to, got to, uh, you know, ride with the the guy who got you there and, and that's Skinner. And um, he didn't play tremendous. I didn't think last night, but he played well enough to get them the win. And, and I think there's a lot more uh, improvement from, from Skinner still to be had. And, and Jay Woodcroft uh, trusts him again, another Bakersfield guy. Uh, that he knows very well. So, uh, yeah, he put, Woodcroft certainly pushed, pushed all the right buttons, I thought, um, in, in game five. And he'll have to probably tinker again because his, uh, 
his uh, mentor Todd Todd McClellan uh, on the other side will will certainly have some some tinkering to do and will will do in the next three days uh, before game game seven on on Saturday. Uh, Dan, let's go backwards just for one second because this is going to sound like a really stupid question, but I haven't felt this way since Evgeny Malkin didn't get put on the top one hundred players of all time list, and I remember thinking. It's just the Crosby. I know, you're, I know you're going here. <laughs> it's it's going to sound ridiculous, but is Leon Dreisaitl underrated? Because if Leon Dreisaitl is anywhere else, I think I think we're putting him on a much bigger mountain. And he's just got such a big shadow, uh, whether he's playing on that line or not. But what he's doing, not only in this series, but what he's done in his career is is elite, elite, elite. And I always feel like we're us included, always just talking about McDavid. Yeah, and I I would say he's not underrated in Edmonton, but I think around the league he probably is. Where people think, you know, here's Connor McDavid, who will end up on the the Mount Rushmore of, of hockey greats when his career is done. I have no doubt about that. Uh, and there's number two, uh, and you think, you know, here's McDavid piling up, you know. Hart trophies and and scoring championships. Now he's got a rocket Richard, and you know the list goes on and on. He's one of the greatest players of all time. So you're going to get overshadowed, uh, and I think that's 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 um, a pretty realistic outcome for uh, people around the league to forget about Drysaddle in a way. But in these parts, I, I don't think he is. And I mean, people might forget that that Leon Drysaddle has a Hart Trophy and, a, and an Art Ross Trophy as well. It's been a, a Guy who scores fifty goals every year, but one of the just voted by his peers as the best passer in the game. He's what Zach Hyman likes to call a pass first fifty goal scorer, and that's uh, you know pretty unbelievable. Um, you know, Drysaddle goes every season. He goes about a month, maybe six weeks, where he's just not there. He's not playing well. Uh, he looks a bit lethargic, uh, and it and it kind of. You know, it becomes it becomes a talking point. It, it happened even in that MVP year of 2019-2020. But he always comes out of it. And uh, when he wants to play, when he wants to, uh, when he decides he wants to make a difference, there, he's just unstoppable. He's, uh, nobody can take the puck off him. He's like Yager. He's got a, a big rear end and, and can kind of block guys out. Um, his skating, he's not the the quickest guy in the world, but once he gets going, he can move. We've talked about the passing, the shot. He can score anywhere from, you know, the top of the circle to the goal line or maybe even behind it. Um, there's not much this guy can't do. And um, the Oilers are incredibly fortunate to have two guys of, the, of that caliber. Um, and and Drysaddle is what, you know, as we saw in the playoffs last year, uh, being able to get two points a game for the last two thirds of it on, on one leg, essentially. Uh, now he's, you know, healthy and, and you're seeing, you know, the full, Kind of uh, cavalry, uh, you know, full set of skills that that he has. Um, he's not again. He's not underrated in these parts. You know, Oilers. He's beloved by by Oilers fans. But I can see your point, Rob. Um, you know, we didn't have him on our NHL uh, ninety nine list in terms of the top one hundred players. And uh, you know, I talked to some of his teammates who are who are baffled by that decision because uh, you know he he's right up there with. The, you look at a lot of the stats. Uh, he's right up there with Austin Matthews and. Uh, uh, there was a, you know, you, you, it's still this way, but I think it was so more uh, a couple of years ago where there's a lot of comparisons between Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews in terms of who's the best player. Well, uh, to me, it's Connor McDavid is miles ahead 
and and it's between Leon Dreisaitl and, and Austin Matthews in terms of you know trying to rank those two players behind uh, in any kind of order or, or with other players involved. Um, but uh, but Dreisaitl is right there and de- deserves a lot, maybe more credit than he gets uh, outside of Edmonton. The, the Oilers have been great, and we've talked a lot about all the things they've done right. But like uh, Rob said. They were very close to being down three to one in this series, with if not for a miraculous comeback. Obviously, I think the Kings are are a bad matchup for them. The Kings match up well, but for this team to go on the cup run that we all think they have the talent to do, like where do you, when you look at their game right now, like where do you see the most room for growth? Like where does this team need to get better going forward? Yeah, well, I completely agree with you, Jesse. I, I wrote several times that I thought the Kings were like the worst matchup for them. Uh, you you mentioned earlier, and we've talked about like their 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 two uh, two way centers and Dano and, and Kopitar that can match up with with Drysaddle and McDavid, and they also like to play a very defensive system, a one three one, you know, neutral zone scheme. And, and and really try to push the Oilers te- or test the Oilers' patience. So um, I think getting through the series, if they can, I mean, they got two again, two cracks to win one game. Uh, you'd think the Oilers can do that, um, but if they can get through the series, I, I think it'll just you know take an anvil off their shoulders and really free them up to um, you know to move along here in the playoffs. Um, again, we talked about kind of the, the rocky play so far of Stuart Skinner, you know, through, um, uh, through after game one, he called himself average. It's pretty much continued on that way. I think there's a lot more room for growth there. Um, you know, they've had lapses in defensive zone coverage that have resulted in a few goals. I, they, they certainly have to clean that up. Uh, I just think another opponent, um, will allow guys like, well, especially Connor McDavid, um, uh, and a couple others and Ryan Nugent Hopkins has been pretty quiet. Uh, up until the last couple games, uh, Vander Kane and, and um, Zach Hyman can be put in that group too. But I, I think, you know, uh, another opponent, uh, you'll be able to produce a lot more uh, at five on five, which will certainly help, uh, help you know, lighten the load defensively for this club. So, yeah, there's certainly some areas that they can they can improve upon the penalty kill being another one. But I just think if they can get past the Kings uh, and play a team that's, that's better suited to um, uh, allowing the Oilers to play their strengths, uh, they'll be a, in a much better spot. Well, they got a g- couple games, as you mentioned, to do it, to punch that ticket to the second round. Daniel, go back to bed. Thanks for waking up to talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> I got to deal with two young kids, so I'm not sure if I'll get to, to sleep, but I'm going to try. I know the feeling. I know Thanks, the buddy. feeling. Thanks for doing this. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care, guys. Daniel Nugent Bowman, who covers the Edmonton Oilers. Best seat in the house. Best job in the house. Get to watch that guy. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. There I go, underrating yeah, Leon Dreisaitl again. I'm even doing it. It's unreal. I was wondering if you're going to throw his name in there. <laughs> yeah, it's just unreal what we think of him. So thanks to uh, Daniel for coming out. After the break, rapid fire. So don't go anywhere. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. 
Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, my favorite time of the show and yours, Rapid Fire. JR, I know you're new to this show. Russo talks for about 45 minutes for each and every one, uh, completely ignoring the word rapid, but we're going to try to burn through these because we've had uh, uh, a fun show. and We've hit a lot of topics, but we got a few more. Rapid Fire topic number one. Looks like the Flames are finally getting themselves a new arena. A deal has been reached. Uh, to replace that old saddle dome with uh, a new event center, and they're going to make improvements in the surrounding area uh, east of downtown. It looks like it's going to cost about $1.2 billion, $800 million going to the new arena. Jesse, you're shaking your head. It's about time, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's, I, I actually can't speak to the saddle dome. It's one of the two buildings I have not been to in the oh, NHL, really? so I got to get out. I got to get out there before they uh, get rid of it, but um, I mean... It's, it's one of the oldest buildings in the league. It's probably time, right? Well, should I do my uh, Russo imitation here? Hey, I was talking to Bruce Boudreaux a couple minutes ago. I got to get my Starbucks coffee. Uh, I got to write a story. I got three stories that are due today. <laughs> so there's my Russo imitation. I love the Saddle Dome. You know, look, I'm all for uh, the people in Calgary getting a new rink, but I love I love the Saddle Dome. It's one of my favorite. I actually, one time, I took my uh, cell phone up there and walked the catwalk and kind of uh, did a live Facebook Live or whatever. People were freaking out. I was freaking out. So uh, I'm going to miss it, that place. I, I love I love old buildings. I love nostalgia. I love it all. But we're at a point now. It's it's beyond <laughs> being a barn. So it's good to see that the fans of Calgary are going to get themselves a new rink. Rapid fire topic number two: Justin Braun retiring. Thirteen seasons uh, with San Jose, New York, and Philly. Not bad for a guy, Jr. Drafted in the seventh round. No, a real good player. <laughs> And I, I go back to uh, a fight he had with uh, Roman Polak. Uh, Polak just uh, annihilated him. And after the game, Ken Hitchcock said, you don't open that door. You don't open the Roman Polak door. <laughs> yeah, I think back to, I mean, he, he was obviously with the Sharks. Uh, he had some good battles with the Golden Knights in the playoffs the first couple seasons here in Vegas. Uh, really good player. And to carve out, like you, like you mentioned, how many seventh round picks get to play in the NHL period? Yeah. Um, very, very, very few. Like I would bet it's like less than 1%. And to, to have a career as long as he's had, that's a phenomenal uh, use of the talent he was given. Great, great career. Rapid fire topic number three. We've been talking about the Leafs and that series against Tampa Bay. Well, a video kind of went a little viral <clears throat> during the game in which their general manager, Kyle Dubas, is seen quite clearly yelling into the stands in Tampa Bay. Now, the, 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 the clip is labeled by everyone, you know, Kyle Dubas yelling at Lightning fans. I've heard, to the contrary, I heard he was actually yelling at a belligerent Leafs fan. Where the truth is, I don't know. But GMs know that people are going to be looking at them at all times. Right, Jesse? <laughs> Yeah, I my takeaway is just I need more ISO cam on Kyle Dubas. It's great. Like when they yeah. score, when they get scored on. If anything, if I could just get a channel where I've got him picture in picture on the top of the screen, I would be happy with it. Um, I love like George McPhee here in Vegas is another great one. Like he loses his mind all the time. It's great. I I love GM reaction cams. Give me more. Yeah, and listen, like you said, this uh, in today's day and age, just 
act like a camera is going to be on you 24 7 all the because time. All, all the time. time all the time especially in this playoffs so anything you do any gyration any movement is going to become a meme especially if what jesse predicted earlier and that was a leafs uh, loss here in the first no i'm kidding <laughs> that, that anything kyle dubas does can turn into a meme here at the end of the series so uh, i just look a camera is on you at all times and anything the Leafs do, and that goes all the way up to the front office, is a big, big deal in Toronto. So, you know, there's going to be a day where it's going to be like a, a police interrogation room where we're going to look up at the press box and it's just going to be a mirror. And they're behind there. <laughs> so you can't you can't shoot anything they're doing because we've seen some. I remember, was it Pierre Dorian who just chucked his, his drink across the room when they lost yes. uh, a game? That was just, it's fun to watch. And finally, guys, uh, this is not really a topic, but if it's been brought up, Again, it gets brought up all the time, especially during the playoffs. I just want your takes on this. Do we need both anthems or do we need national anthems at all before sporting events? Are you on board or are you on the side of let's get rid of them, drop the puck? JR, we start with you. I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm fine with it. And in fact, uh, when the Canadian teams come to St. Louis, I love uh, listening to the Canadian anthem. We actually have a reporter who used to cover the Blues who would uh, belt out the Canadian anthem up in the uh, St. Louis press box. So so bring it on. It's part of sport. Uh, each arena has its own kind of version and, and uh, star anthem singer. So I like them. Yeah, I, I'm having a hard time coming up with a strong take here. I just don't care. Um, <laughs> I, I, if, if, they, if they got rid of them, it wouldn't bother me. If you if someone was vehement that they have to be out there, like they also don't bother me. Um, I will say this series I'm covering, the anthems have been entertaining because um, the the Jets fans chant True North, the the True North line during the the Canadian anthem, and it is loud up in Winnipeg when they chant it. And then Vegas fans obviously yell Night when they say Proof Through the Night during the American anthem. So they're dueling. The fans are dueling to see who can out yell each other, which to me is entertaining. Gives me a little something to watch during the anthems. But yeah, I don't. I don't really have a strong take on them. I'm with Jesse what on this one. I'm, I'm, yeah. I noticed it during the the COVID playoffs when you had the the all Canadian division, and suddenly all it, it, every game that you're watching in that division was just one anthem, and it felt like the right. games. All of a sudden, it's like, hey, one anthem. All right, we're we're getting to the game. But I'm the same way, especially if I'm not covering a game, if I'm just at home. I usually don't really start paying attention until that referee raises his hand and drops the puck. So I'm either way, but it, it seems as though there's some strong opinions. Some people really don't want to see it, but I'm, I'm with you. I really don't care. And if it stays there, all the power to it. Uh, good show, boys. Got to that point of the, the show, though. Dumb question for you, Jesse. What are you working on? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm obviously playoff stuff. Um, I'm currently working on a piece on uh, on Jack Eichel and Mark Stone dealing with the uh, being targeted, not in a dirty way. Um, the Jets are roughing them up every chance they get, as they should be, um, because they are killing them. Eichel and Stone have been great. So uh, working on a piece on what it's like to play in the playoffs as a star player, getting hit after every single time you touch the puck uh, should be some uh, some good quotes in there. But uh, yeah, all all playoff coverage at the moment. JR. Yeah, guys, you're never going to believe this, but uh, the Blues were a 109-point team last year, right? So at the beginning of this season, 22-23, I had readers give me their bold predictions. And after a 109-point season, uh, let's give them a shout-out. Ken V, subscriber to The Athletic, Ken V, said that the Blues would have three first-round picks in the upcoming draft, and their own pick would be 
a top 10. So he actually predicted this Blues absolute collapse of a season, 81 points. And so the Blues indeed do have three first-round picks. And their pick, like he said, is the number 10 pick. So how about these readers? I told Ken uh, he's going to have to uh, do the bold predictions next year uh, instead of me. So uh, quite a quite a prediction there. We need to get Ken V on the show. <laughs> I, I was about it. to say, Jeff Tobin, <laughs> our producer, I hope you're listening. Get Ken V on the show next time we want to talk about Forget, forget JR. Let's get Ken V on the show. He's got it all, all figured out. Uh, JR, thanks for jumping in. Appreciate it. That was great, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, I want to thank everybody out there for listening and remind you, if you want to see our ugly mugs, we now have a YouTube channel. Head to youtube.com slash The Athletic Hockey Show. And The Athletic Hockey Show returns Thursday with Ian Mendez and down goes Brown. I want to say a big thanks to DNB for waking up bright and early after that game uh, and talking to us. For Jesse and JR, I'm Rob Russo. We'll finally land and come back and talk to us next week. Looking forward to that and rapid fire being four times longer. We'll see you in seven days. <laughs>